And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast presented by Visa, a network working for everyone. Derek Van Riper here today sitting in the lead host chair while Michael Beller is enjoying Hawaii for the week. Thankfully, I've got three great guests lined up on the heels of an excellent week three matchup between the Rams and the Bucks. First, we have Jordan Rodriguez, the Rams beat writer for The Athletic. She's also a host of the 11 Personnel podcast. Of course, that is about the Rams. And according to The Athletic's Lindsey Jones, a cold brew innovator. How's it going today, Jordan? <laughs> well, with an intro like that, it's going to be a good day, man. I, yes, uh, Lindsey Jones outed my coffee habits on Twitter. Um, I am a... I'm going. I'm boldly going where few roasts have gone before. So um, yeah, it's been a. It's been a season's back. So is the cold brew. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant decision. Nitro cold brew into an already poured cold brew. Best <laughs> idea I've ever heard for coffee lovers. Let's get to the Rams. We're only three games into Matthew Stafford's time in Los Angeles, but have you seen enough early indicators to believe that this will be the career year that many people have been expecting from him? Well, it certainly will be if he keeps on the pace that he's going in terms of not just yardage and completion percentage and quarterback rating, but also in terms of how he's been taking care of the football. So I do think that you're going to continue to see more of the same from this team. They're they're showing little peaks of what they're going to do in terms of throwing the ball downfield. Um, but the thing that I think should scare people and should really uh, elevate Matthew and continue this sort of to sustain this production down the stretch is they can do it with any receiver on the roster. And they're kind of showing little glimpses of that um, early on. So I think it's going to be, if it's not his most productive year of his career, I will be surprised. Um, but I think, you know, that's that's obviously not something they're necessarily focusing on, but he's just got too many weapons and he's just being so efficient with the football right now and they're throwing it a lot. And looks rejuvenated too. I mean, I watched the NFC North a ton and Matthew Stafford for years just felt like was playing hurt on bad teams. And just to see him with a great supporting cast is actually just a, a nice story here early on in 2021. 10 yards per attempt and a 9 to 1 TD to interception ratio through three games. Stafford's influence on this group of pass catchers is really clear. Cooper Cup has been elevated to a level where if we were drafting teams again today for the rest of the fantasy football season, I think Cup would be in the conversation with Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill to be the first wide receiver off the board. Looking at the way this offense is functioning, do you think it's fair to project him for a 10 target per game role here on out? Yeah, I think so. And he's he's averaging, uh, I think, about eight, eight and a half right now. And uh, and, and it's, it's crazy because, you know, he and Matthew Stafford had worked together so closely through the spring. You could kind of see this starting to form and starting to blossom. Cooper Cup would be at practice with a, pl a full, like, uh, two-foot-long play card in his hand, the same one that Sean McVay would carry around. And he would be meeting with, with Matthew between snaps to talk about certain things on that card and to talk about what he wants to do on certain routes and, and how they want to do certain concepts. And so, you know, it, Robert Woods has been the same, but Cooper Cup has has certainly been uh, Matthew's go-to guy. And that connection, that chemistry has certainly um, been showing up. And, and I think what makes it really, I think, joyful for Matthew to play with a guy like Cooper, with a guy like Robert Woods, 
because they problem solve in real time, you can see that happening throughout the course of the game. You can do setups, uh, not just a setup the receiver does on the defensive back, but the setup of the design on the defense as a whole. And I think they really like feeling like they have more answers than the other team does. And you can kind of see that. You see Matthew like high-stepping down the field after completing passes. You see a lot of joy happening right now. Winning winning does help, um, but Cooper Cup, I mean, he's on pace. He's feeling good, which is really important for him, um, but he's on pace for a career season if if uh, by a long shot honestly he's been a monster to begin this fantasy football season you know, mentioned Robert Woods there in passing I think he's been one of the most underrated receivers in the league over the past three seasons he's been quiet so far the per target efficiency has actually dipped in each of the past two seasons even down again here early in 2021 down at six and a half yards per target are you expecting Woods to settle back in as the clear-cut number two receiver in the next few weeks, or is this group of weapons behind him improved enough to reduce Woods' role in the offense compared to what we've seen over the last few seasons? I definitely expect Robert Woods to kind of grow and target share a little bit more down the stretch. There's just going to be so much attention on Cooper at this point that um, you, you you know you're going to see other guys emerge. I, I don't expect Cooper's pace to to lessen, but you are going to see a lot more attention on him. So a guy you know Robert Woods becomes so important that consistency. I think when you you want to think about how you project guys to sort of um, settle in and start to break out a little bit, you look at what where Matthew Stafford's throwing the ball on third down, not just the short third downs, but the adverse yardage third downs, the long third downs, and he's going to Robert Woods so frequently in those situations. It's not about, you know, the uh, chemistry. It's not about settling in. If he trusts him that much on those in those situations, it's just about, you know, Cooper's the hot hand right now. So I think you are going to see Robert Woods continue to settle, continue to emerge in the way that we know he sort of has um, year over year. And and I think you got to keep an eye on Van Jefferson as well. Um, Van Jefferson, you know, scores the first touchdown of the Rams season on a deep concept. And it sends a message, I think, that any three of these receivers are going to run anything at any time. And uh, I think the carry share will be pretty, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it settles out uh, down the stretch. I'd still put Cooper as the one. I'd have Robert Woods close behind when things are all said and done. And then Van Jefferson's making a case for that three as well. Yeah, do you think there's a chance that Van Jefferson's week-to-week role is even more consistent than that of Tyler Higby at tight end? I mean, we saw Deshaun Jackson with a couple of big plays against the Bucks. I still see him as maybe more of a limited role guy, even though he's a dangerous player at this stage of his career. Uh, who do you see between Higby and Jefferson being the more likely steady week-to-week contributor based on how this offense is functioning? Yeah, in terms of consistency overall, I would say Van Jefferson, um, just because when they're they're going to be in 11 personnel more often as this is just a Sean McVay team. And I think that Tyler Higby, when he does produce, it's everyone loves it, right? Because it, fantasy football people, I think it's one of the number one questions I get every year where it's like, is this the year for Tyler Higby? And I'm like, ah, I don't know what to tell you because it'll be great you know, for two weeks and then he'll come back sort of in line and help with the blocking and then it'll be great for another week. And and I think you're seeing that um, they just, it's going to very much go by, by matchup. But when I think you look at it by the end of the season, Van Jefferson is going to be sort of that clear cut third target. Deshaun Jackson is just like uh, the the icing on the cake, right? Like he's just that extra flourish that you're able to put and and just kind of punish defenses a little bit. And Tyler Higbee uh, has the ability to be consistent, but with the way the Rams are running things and the way these three receivers can do so many th- different things, um, I, I definitely see Van Jefferson, uh, you know, if we're looking at this 10 weeks from now, he's going to have a, a larger carry share more consistently. Let's take a look at the backfield. It was uh, tough sledding for Sony Michelle, 20 carries for 67 yards against a very tough uh, Bucks front on Sunday. Daryl Henderson was down with a rib injury. Once Henderson is back, do you expect this to continue to be some sort of timeshare, or do you think we're going to see one back eventually sort of take over the lion's share of the touches? You know, it's an interesting situation because Daryl is an explosive player. He's super you know, immersed in this offense. He's been doing great in pass protection. But you also do still get the sense that, you know, he's still going to be on a pitch count a little bit as they try to figure out what his magic number is in, in order to maximize his availability. And in that regard, Sony Michelle, you know, you didn't even blink 
get watching him get 20 carries uh, against you know the Buccaneers this last week. So I do think that you're going to start. You're going to see a little bit more of a complimentary situation. They still, I I would guarantee, you know, almost guarantee they'd still want to start Daryl when he comes back. But because they need to be, you know, focused on his availability and and they need to maximize him in that regard, you're still going to see plenty of Sony Michelle, in my opinion. And I think down the stretch, it's it's whoever's healthier and whoever's steadier. And I will say that the teammates, you know, it's not that it's not that Daryl doesn't do this, but teammates were really, really impressed with the sort of steady presence that Sony Michelle lent. Uh, if first in an adverse situation coming in late in the game against Indianapolis, and then the way he kept showing up against a really fierce uh, Bucks pass rush, the way that he was helping in pass pro, and then the way he kind of put it away for him down the stretch. One more question before we let you go, Jordan. The Rams currently six-point favorites at home against the Cardinals in Week 4. Nice NFC West battle between two 3-0 teams. Any expectations for that matchup? Take the over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even look at the over-under total. I don't know what it is, but take the over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, should be plenty of pace, plenty of points on the board between those two teams. Jordan, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me, Derek. That is Jordan Rodriguez, the Rams beat writer for The Athletic. Also, be sure to check out the 11 Personnel podcast. We continue now with Greg Allman, the Tampa Bay Bucks beat writer for The Athletic, coming off of a disappointing but hard-fought loss against the Rams. Greg, how are you doing today? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me. So let's start at the quarterback position. Tom Brady on pace to shatter the career high in touchdown passes that he set a year ago when he threw 40 of them. Already has two 50-plus attempt games in three weeks. Where did things level off in this passing game in terms of week-to-week pace? Yeah, we keep kind of saying, like, you know, you've got a 44-year-old quarterback. You don't necessarily need to be dropping back 70% of the time. But their run game hasn't really gotten it done so far. Um, It's like they had nine carries for 19 yards. Um, so they, they, I think they won carry in the second half. I mean, as they were behind, don't get me wrong. It, it felt like one of those games where you're, they were going to be in hurry up the entire second half, but yeah, they've, they, they don't, they don't really stick with the run game very much, uh, when things go bad that way. So no, I, I think this is a week, uh, where the Patriots defense uh, is, is much more susceptible against the run than they are against the pass. So if anything would skew them to kind of get back to a normal, actual balance, uh, you'd think Sunday would be one. Um, just and again, from a, from a keeping your quarterback upright and alive standpoint, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, eventually you drop back fifty times a week, you're going to take a lot of hits. Like that's not something we've seen Tom Brady do over the course of his career, but it becomes a concern when you're pushing volume the way the Bucks have had to to this point. I'm with you on the upcoming matchup being sort of a, a get right opportunity for the running game. Fifteen or fewer touches in each of the first three games for Leonard Fournette, just sixteen total touches for Ronald Jones so far. Will we ever have clarity in this backfield, especially with Gio Bernard kind of handling the old James White function, kind of going back to some of the Brady offenses uh, in New England? Yeah, first of all, Gio's got a bum knee, so he he might not go this week. Um, it's like he, he scored a touchdown, like with a minute to play Sunday, and took a helmet to the knee right as he got flipped into the end zone. So uh, he could go, but if he does, I don't think he will have practiced much at all this week. So it's very possible... Uh, rather than like maybe a big third of the role that Leonard Fournette has a big part of this game on Sunday. Um, if you watched Sunday's game that, I mean, they had already kind of been on the downside with Ronald Jones. Uh, he missed a blocking assignment that resulted in Brady getting sacked the week before, had a fumble in the first week that, that was costly. Um, so Jones basically played one drive Sunday. Uh, it was funny. Bruce Arians was talking about how he ran really well. It's like he had 11 yards on five carries. So if that if that qualifies as running really well, that's great. But uh, Fournette has been much more involved, um, has been a pretty reliable pass catcher. He did have a ball that went off his hands high for a pick in week one, but they've thrown to him a lot. So like I said, if instead of like that weird 40-30-30 split that it's kind of been or expected to be these first three games, this is a week where it could be like 70-30 and just Fournette gets a big chunk of the ta- of the touches. Um I think the Patriots have given up like 120 yards a game on the ground. So, you know, wherein their default has just been a throw, throw, throw. This is a week where it's actually in their best strategic means to to try and run the ball. And Fournette would be a big part of that. Yeah, that bumps Fournette from sort of the fringe flex range for a lot of fantasy people into maybe even a solid RB2 sort of status with that expected uptick in volume in week four, at least. 
Uh, Antonio Brown did not play in that game against the Rams due to COVID. With the increased volume of pass attempts that we're seeing early on this season, is there any reason to believe the Bucks will struggle to sustain having four above average pass catchers going forward? I mean, it's Evans, Godwin, and Gronk all getting their share too. Assuming all four of these guys are healthy, do we see an odd man out each week like we did with Mike Evans in the opener? Or do you think week to week, they're all just going to be super reliable because six plus targets at least could be going in each of their directions? Yeah, I mean, all four are at least, you know, like flex viable, if you will. There's going to be, like you said, there's going to be someone who's who's shafted on any given week. Um, we've seen Mike Evans have a quiet week. You know, AB looked so prominent in week one, and then I think he ended up with 17 yards in week two. Um, now Scotty Miller's hurt. He's got a turf toe that, that could sideline him a while. He wasn't really a factor at all when AB was healthy, so I don't think that matters that much to the others. Uh, but Gronk especially. I mean, Gronk has had four touchdowns in the first two games. So I would think as long as, I mean, he took a nasty shot to the ribs Sunday and is fine in terms of no broken ribs or anything. But um, yeah, as long as they're healthy, I mean, Gronk's going to be a red zone play every time Brady's in the red zone and they get in the red zone a lot. Um, and it's just a matter of out of, you know, Evans, Godwin and Brown, which of the three get 110 and which of the three get 10 on a given week. Is there a stash from the depth pass catching options here, though, in case there's an injury? Is there one guy? Because I think fantasy football benches are made for players that could go off. You want to dedicate at least one or two spots to someone who might not be useful in the event of bye weeks, but would be really valuable if the right circumstances played out. Yeah, I mean, the, the deep stash is definitely Tyler Johnson. He's he's absolutely available in whatever league you're in. Um, with Scotty Miller out, he's definitely the four now. And with AB kind of coming back off COVID, he might have a quieter role this week. Uh, Tyler Johnson had like a 23 and a 31-yard catch Sunday. Um, 63 yards total, which was a career high for him. But if anything happened to Godwin, and Godwin missed four games with three injuries last year, Tyler Johnson would be the guy that steps into Chris Godwin's role and would be immediately getting the targets that come with that and would be a threat for 100 yards and a, and a weekly touchdown. Um, he's a guy who would be a two or three on some offenses. So, um, yeah, if that's the guy, if you want to just speculate on what if somebody else gets COVID, what if... Mike Evans or Chris Godwin gets a short-term injury, he's someone who would benefit directly from any of those top three going down. So this week for The Athletic, you wrote about the slow starts of inside linebackers. Both Devin White and Levante David through the first three games have been pretty quiet. There were plenty of fantasy managers. I was among them hoping to have a set-it-and-forget-it defense by drafting the Bucks a few weeks ago. Do you expect them to get right over the next four games? The schedule looks really favorable with the Patriots coming up here in week four. You get the Dolphins, the Eagles, and the Bears all coming up too. Is this a, a good stretch for the Bucks to sort of fix the problems defensively? I have the Buccaneers defense in my neighborhood fantasy league. Uh, that's the only Buck. I think it's the only Bucks presence I have on my fantasy team. Uh, they were the first defense off the board, like around 12 kind of thing. I uh, felt good about it, and they gave me a zero this week. Uh, it's one of those where I, th- I went into Monday night's game needing to hold Zeke Elliott to under 10 points, which seemed unlikely to begin with. And then he gets a touchdown like three minutes in. I was like, all right, uh, next week maybe. Uh, but as you said, this does get better. Uh, it's like they have faced in, in Prescott and in, in Stafford, two really good quarterbacks here out of the gate. Matt Ryan's been good against them. He's not necessarily a great quarterback. Uh, it definitely drops off. I think their next four quarterbacks – uh, like 27th and 29th in passer rating of the next two. Obviously, Mac Jones as a young guy. Uh, next week, it's it's Jacoby Brissett. They get Jalen Hurts, who's probably a little bit better. Uh, potentially, I think after that is like Justin Fields. I mean, whoever is Chicago is fielding in four weeks as their quarterback. Um, so this is, a, like you said, an area where the defense should get better. They have not played well defensively. They're like absolute last in the league as a pass defense. They're last in the league in sack percentage. Um, you can say they're, they're like top five against the run, but it's just because teams don't even need to run against them because they're throwing, they're giving up 338 yards a game in the air. So yeah, this is something where as the pass rush comes together, they, they haven't had JPP. They probably won't have him this week. So that pass rush is still a work in progress. Um, by Sunday, they might have Richard Sherman in their secondary, which is crazy to think about. Uh, but in the middle there, I mean, Levante David and Devin White, this is the kind of game where they should be able to attack a young quarterback blitz a lot more, use the creative, versatile pieces they have a little bit better. If they had a, an early game injury Sunday, and I think that really took away a lot of the experimental nature of having pieces you can move around, and they just kind of had to go to this is the look they have. Um, so, yeah, I think I haven't 
cut my Bucks defense off of my fantasy team yet. So uh, better days ahead, perhaps. Yeah, keep an eye on the waiver wire in case someone is impatient because the right. upcoming schedule is everything. I mean, we talk about streaming defenses a lot in fantasy. You might have one that you could stream for three or four weeks before possibly making a change later on this season. You know, as we've learned a little bit more about each team in the league since opening week and the Cowboys went out and took care of business against the Eagles on Monday Night Football, how do you think the Cowboys actually stack up to the NFC's other top teams? Do you see them as an elite team that holds... I mean, I saw it on opening night against Tampa Bay, but like, if they play the Rams, do you think the Cowboys stack up favorably against just about anybody in the NFC at this point? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that offense looked stacked going in. Certainly gave the Bucks uh, an absolute run to the final minute, and then to watch them against Philly last night. I mean, to put up forty to move the ball as consistently as they did, uh, they they should be. I mean, if you look at that league right now, I think there was one win where the Eagles got excited, but beyond that, I mean, that the Giants are a bad zero and three team. This could be a runaway division for them. So no, the Cowboys, I think from a fantasy standpoint, I mean, I mean, Prescott, you know, if you go back to when a lot of people had their drafts, there was still kind of questions about whether he was healthy or not. I think there's a lot of people that probably got really good value in Dak Prescott. Um, he's having these games right now where, I mean, there's so many other quarterbacks, Brady's throwing 52 times and these other quarterbacks and Prescott keeps having these like 80% games where he's just 21 of 26 and just locked in. It's not gaudy, so it's not amazing from a fantasy standpoint, but it's really efficient. And especially, you know, you think about having Lamb and Cooper and Gallup uh, to have Elliott going. Um, I mean, Schultz is, is vastly underrated as a tight end in terms of the production he had last year, kind of out of nowhere. Um, this is a good offense. I mean, I think as they get better on the defensive side of things, that that'll be a tough team. Uh, to watch what they did last night, I felt like it, it made the Bucks win in week one carry a little bit more weight. Yeah, I, I thought that as well. It's kind of why I wanted to touch on them with you for just a few moments. Uh, one last question for you. A very buzzy Sunday night matchup awaits. Kind of hinted at this. I mean, it's, it's the Patriots. It's Tom Brady going back to Foxborough. You know, the Bucks are six-and-a-half-point road favorites in that matchup, according to our friends over at BetMGM. Any predictions for how Bucks-Pats actually plays out beyond the fact that the Bucks will probably get a chance to run the ball a bit more than they have in any game so far this season? Yeah, this feels... I mean, it's one of those where you know how much it means to both parties with Brady and Belichick in terms of the the desire on a very personal level to win and and to win convincingly, probably. So they, they both go into it with that. I still feel like the Patriots have uh, a rookie quarterback with limited personnel to work with. And that's probably what this Bucks defense needs is somebody who doesn't yet know how to pick them apart. Um and, and I think that's the difference. I think that's what it's going to be. Um, it, it's hard to see the Bucks as a touchdown favorite on the road. They're still not that consistent a team for me. But I, I do think that Brady, as uber competitive as he is, is going to be able to have a good game. And they should be able to score low 30s against this Patriots team. And I just don't see um, – the Bucks had a while there where they used to let rookie quarterbacks do way too much against them. But I think, uh, assuming they have some kind of solution at cornerback – from what they had to put out there for most of the game Sunday, I think they'll be able to handle this Patriots offense. Um, they have good safety play against tight ends, which should negate. I mean, the, 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 the Henry Smith combo hasn't really done that much for New England to begin with. But right now, I, I do feel like it's a game that the Bucs can win on the road and maybe even slightly cover. This, this feels kind of like 31-21, something like that for me. Yeah, that was kind of the vibe I got when I saw that line. I thought it would be even a little bit more. And maybe that's uh, being too low on the Patriots coming off of a really disappointing week three showing against the Saints. But I just how how are they going to hurt the Tampa Bay defense? They are devoid of weapons right now. And I think that is unfortunately it's going to stunt the development of Mac Jones a bit here in his first season. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's I mean, we, we've been talking about this Brady Belichick matchup for so long building up to it. And to think that they're both coming in off humbling losses it's like oh okay well that makes sense Gronk's gonna score in this game too right that's gonna be the first TD of the game is gonna be Brady to Gronk isn't it yeah well everybody talks about Gronkowski so Bruce Arians turns 69 on Sunday which is the most Gronk thing ever would be for him to score a touchdown and the other thing is that Brady needs 68 yards to become the all-time leading passer in NFL history so we figure it's just where he goes over the record by two yards and Gronk just like points to the camera and says, happy birthday, coach, and, and then <laughs> go from there. Yeah, the script is already written. He is Greg Allman. He does a great job covering the Buccaneers for The Athletic. Greg, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Derek, thanks again. appreciate it. We'll do it again soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now we continue our Tuesday installment of The Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast Guest Edition with our final look at the waiver wire for Week 4. Joining me now is a good friend and fellow pickleball enthusiast, Rotowire's college football and sports betting editor, John McKechnie. You can find him on Twitter at John's underscore tailgate. John, how's it going for you on this Tuesday? It's going great. It was great to, to hear from you and, and to uh, get invited to, to come on, talk a little bit of waiver wire. Always good to chat with you regardless. Uh, but yeah, now we get to talk a little shop too. So this is fun, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's kind of a throwback to the old days in the Rotowire office from not That's that right. long ago. It's been a couple of years for me, but uh, I do miss those days because working from home by myself all the time. It's not as interesting to have conversations with myself as it is to talk to everybody else. Uh, and I, I can completely agree. I, I recently made the move to uh, to working remote full time. So yeah, I moved down here to Atlanta, and yeah, I'm just <laughs> I gotta like find in, new and interesting ways to to get out of my apartment, especially during the week. Uh, going to a concert tomorrow, so I'm like very 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 excited to to do that so just to have a little something to uh yeah to not just have the conversation with myself because like you yeah behind the mic a lot but um you know not face to face a a ton sometimes absolutely let's get started with some running backs chuba hubbard probably the most intriguing player available in a lot of leagues you know for now christian mccaffrey is not on ir so it's more of a a week-to-week sort of thing i don't think he's even been ruled out for week four at the time of this recording so how much does Christian McCaffrey not being on IR temper the potential smash the piggy bank sort of approach you might have had with Chuba Hubbard in leagues that use fab. You know, I don't know if I was going to quite deal with Hubbard the same way I was going to with Elijah Mitchell. Mitchell, it felt like a lot more of a a clear this guy. Now that Mostert, we know he's out for the season. We like what we saw from Mitchell in week one. There isn't really another clear stud guy out on the waiver wire. Why not go a little bit over 50% of my budget? So obviously that's not aging super well. I, I think that there's a bounce back potentially there. But uh, when it comes to Hubbard, again, like you said, we, we don't think that, that McCaffrey's going to be out for very long. It wouldn't surprise me if the Panthers are cautious with this one, though. Obviously, the way that last year unfolded and, and the way that, you know, he's obviously being paid right now that that contract, they don't want to run him out there at, at less than 100%. So if, if Hubbard can can do something competent, if he can do a pretty decent Mike Davis impression, then, you know, the, I think that they're, they'll be satisfied enough. And I think that Darnold also is going to see an uptick in, in his production coming in here. But, you know, that that's all a long, long roundabout way of saying that, I like Hubbard, but I'm probably not going to be the guy that ends up with him in, in most spots. Like I, I think that he's probably going to end up going for more than a quarter of, of most people's budgets it, for the winning bid. I'm not going more than 25%. I think that there's a limited ceiling there. I think that uh, the Panthers, Joe Brady, like now he kind of has carte blanche or the total green light to just like 
turn it loose with the passing game a little bit more. Not that they're going to abandon the run game, but I don't think that we're going to see the same sort of um, anywhere close to the same sort of usage with Hubbard that, that even Davis was able to absorb a year ago. So I think he's he's not total fool's gold, but I'm not going to be the guy that ends up with him in a lot of spots. Yeah, I think the other thing that's in the back of my mind, and I'm with you on that bid range, about a quarter of my budget is where I'm comfortable with Hubbard. More than that seems like a little too much. Royce Freeman is at least going to be something of a factor. It was a 39-10 to 10 snap edge favoring Hubbard in week three with McCaffrey going down on Thursday night. I could see that being a little closer, more like 40-20, like that kind of split, uh, depending on how things play out game script-wise here in week four as well. Uh, we talked earlier in the show about Sony Michelle with Jordan Rodrigue, our Rams beat writer. And I'm just curious, do you have doubts about Daryl Henderson holding up in a prominent role once he gets back from that rib injury? Do you see it as a clear timeshare, or do you see a path for Sony Michelle to actually emerge to be the clear lead back in Los Angeles? I think it was telling that they even went ahead and went to the trouble of trading for a guy like Sony Michelle. Like it because when Cam Akers went down this summer, the the sort of messaging coming out of Rams camp was like, we're not going to rush to to go get anybody because we like our guys and we're going to see what they're able to do. And, you know, Henderson, obviously, what was the favorite to um, go ahead and, and grab that starting job with, you know, I, I was looking at some best ball exposure last night. I have some Xavier Jones that I, I um, hashtag some regrets there. Um, <laughs> even a little Jake Funk spr- sprinkled into the exposure as well. I just for name value alone, that would have been nice if, if Funk worked out. But um, when it comes to Henderson, I, I do tend to have my doubts, especially if Michelle, I know he wasn't explosive on, on Sunday by any means, but you know, a lot of people aren't explosive on the ground against the Buccaneers. He still was able to handle 20 carries against them. I don't know if they're going to need to lean on any anyone running back for, for that many carries, but Henderson... It's getting tougher and tougher to feel like he's going to return that that like fifth round value. The the new Darrell uh, Henderson price post Cam Akers injury. It feels like you know, especially after missing last week and with this Sony Michelle acquisition late late in the off season, it's starting to feel a little bit dicey. Um, and I think the Rams are just a team that also is totally pass first and happy with, happy with you know having their number one running back be a guy that. 12 carries and like four catches and like that's that you did your job yeah i kind of see them being really similar to the way the bucks are built on offense it was a bit of that spider-man meme with those two teams squaring off in week three Uh, peyton barber had a huge game against the dolphins and for me that's just more about the dolphins run defense than it is about peyton barber being viable for any other weeks in which josh jacobs isn't available for that raiders offense right and you know it um I think Hayden Winks was tweeting out the other day, just the Raiders go ahead and make Kenyon Drake the 15th highest paid running back uh, in football. And then you run Peyton Barber out ahead of him. And Peyton Barber did awesome. Like you, you can't really deny that. Like, he, you know, like 140 yards from scrimmage over 110 rushing yards against the Dolphins. But yeah, that that's definitely a little bit more telling about the Dolphins that, than it is about Peyton Barber. We, we're pretty sure what Peyton Barber is at, at this point. He's someone that you don't want to be in in a position where you have to use him in your fantasy lineup by any means. So I don't think anyone even really picked him in best ball either. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to waiver wire acquisition, like I would leave that one be like it. Maybe a two dollar. Keep him honest as a way to, you know, hedge in case Jacobs misses another week. But uh, not nothing beyond that. And even if I pick him up, I'm not totally sure that I'm start like streaming him. Yeah, borderline, I think, as a flex play if Jacobs continues to miss time. Just a hopeful volume grab. It needs to be a good game script, I think, for Peyton Barber to see anything close to the workload that he had against Miami in Week 3. Uh, the next back I want to talk about is a bit more interesting. Kenneth Gainwell, who's pretty clearly the number two guy in Philadelphia. And I think when you go back to traditional redraft leagues, he wasn't necessarily being drafted in most of the 10 and 12 team. We call them home leagues, but the leagues that most of the listeners play in. He was just kind of an afterthought, a guy on the waiver wire, and he might still be out there in a good number of leagues. But when you think about the injury history of Miles Sanders, maybe the ceiling of this offense as Jalen Hurts continues to get more and more experience at the NFL level, do you see Gainwell as more of a a what could go right sort of guy where he's in that cluster of players that you actually do want to have on your bench, even though he's not necessarily useful week to week right now, but more in the vein of, hey, if something happens to Sanders, he is going to ascend to at least 
RB2 sort of status based on the skills that he's flashed going back to his college days at Memphis. Right. I like I, I really liked Gainwell as a prospect, and I thought that the fit in Philadelphia was really interesting. It, my concern is that Philly just might be kind of teetering right now offensively. Like I, I thought that last night was was pretty stark, uh, what we saw. Like just they didn't seem to have any sort of cohesive plan out there. Uh, I don't love the skill position guys that they have, like out, out, like in the receiver room just yet. I mean, they're young still, but um, I just worry about this offense being totally viable. But Gainwell, what Gainwell can do, especially in PPR formats, is he he can t- like totally usurp uh, Sanders on passing downs because uh, Sanders is such a liability in that sense, and Gainwell is so uniquely good as a pass catcher. I mean, he was like a 10 yards per target guy catching like 51 of 61 targets his last season at Memphis as a running back. Um, so he's got the hands, like he's got that out of the backfield ability that he can be that check down guy for sure. Um, so I think you have it framed right in the sense that he's like the, the what could go right. Um, you're playing for a little bit further down the line than what you'd be expecting out of him in week four. But um, you know, if you're churning the bottom of your roster, you know, you got someone who's an obvious drop, you know, like an Adam Troutman or, or something like that, and you don't need to replace him one-to-one with the tight end, um, th- then I think Gainwell does ma- make a decent bit of sense, actually. Yeah, he's done a good job kind of pushing Boston Scott to a pretty clear special teams role. I believe Boston Scott has played four snaps on offense through three mm-hmm. games for the Eagles this season. Let's move on to the wide receivers. Curtis Samuel out there in some of the more shallow leagues could be back from IR as early as this week. It is Taylor Heineke at the controls of this Washington offense. Does that change your interest in Samuel compared to where it would have been at the beginning of the season when it was going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick leading this offense? I'm sort of in the minority, I would imagine, but like I didn't necessarily think that Washington... I mean, Washington needed to bring in somebody uh, after, after last season, but I thought Heineke did well enough in that postseason game to warrant a shot at, at winning the job uh, out of camp. And obviously the way that things unfolded in week one, uh, that's kind of where we are now regardless. Um, but I, I don't necessarily view Heineke as this big downgrade as far as the pass catchers are concerned. I, I think that Washington still will, will be throwing the ball enough um, to where, you know, the, the, the guy who's number two in the pecking order um, I think could still be viable. And I think that you also have a situation where the, the football team's offense being operated by the same people that were working with, with Samuel down in Carolina, they know how to use him really well so that they can do things that don't necessarily require Heineke uh, getting the ball to him deep down the field. I mean, it could be as simple as turning around on a jet sweep for, for you know, for Samuel to, to start to do his thing. So um, if you were in on Samuel and uh, obviously couldn't, roster him due to the injury just yet I would definitely uh, scoop him I I think that he's definitely like I think on a talent base is probably the best receiver that's going to be out there on on a given waiver wire so yeah I I don't see why why you wouldn't um, uh, kick the tires on that one yeah I sort of regret not looking to see how much the line changed after Fitzpatrick suffered that injury earlier this season I don't think it moved the needle at all I would suspect that it wouldn't have been more than like a half point because Taylor Heineke looks like he's at least competent. He's yep. either he's either an above average backup or he's a passable starter somewhere in that range, and that might work with the the way that team is built right now. I think this offense is going to be very schedule dependent, though. I'm looking ahead; they've got the Falcons coming up here in Week Four, so yeah, play play your Washington football team pieces this week. Maybe be a little more careful against the Saints in Week Five, but you get possible uh, situations where they're chasing against Kansas City in Week Six, against the Packers in Week Seven, and then probably another shutdown sort of game on the road in Denver in Week Eight. But definitely some decent spots here to see what Taylor Heineke can do with Fitzpatrick down. Let's talk about Tim Patrick for a moment. The Broncos now without Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler. Is it fair to elevate Patrick's week-to-week volume enough to start putting him into lineups in week four and beyond? I think, you know, leagues where you're starting, like 12-teamers where you're starting three receivers or, or you know, you've you got to flex. I think so. I, I think that he proved without a doubt last season that he's a viable NFL receiver. He's not a star. I, I'm not I'm not saying that he's a star, but he's someone who averaged almost 10 yards a target with Drew Locke throwing him the ball over the over like an 80 target sample last year, like I, I don't know what more you need. He's he's a guy who's 
he's big, you know, he's sort of like a, a clone almost of Cortland Sutton. You know, he's 6'4", over 210 pounds, like a big dude um, that can go up and get it in the, in the red zone. So obviously Denver has two other of those guys, maybe even three if you count Albert O when you, when you look at Sutton and, of course, Noah Fant as well. So how, many, how much red zone work is he going to get? Hard to say. But I think as far as just like a moving the chains possession receiver, I think you can load up uh, Tim Patrick with, you know, seven, eight, nine targets in a given week and get pretty decent returns out of it if you're Denver. So um, I think he's legit. I know he's he's not the mo- most household name and people might not think he's not uh, buzzy because he I believe he was undrafted um, or, or like a seventh round or something like that. So there, there are those type of concerns, but I think that he what he's done on the field in the NFL is enough to to make you convinced that that he can actually do this. So uh, now that he's stepping into a you know a much more prominent role with unfortunately uh, Hamler being sidelined, he's someone that you can absolutely start uh, you know somewhere over over these next couple of weeks, and you, you get a Baltimore secondary um, that. I mean, they, they took away Tyreek Hill the, the other week, but that was just kind of like a specialized game plan. They got carved up by, by, uh, Derek Carr in, in the first week. And, uh, you know, last week against the Lions, that's not really an applicable sample. So, you know, maybe, maybe we'll see what Anthony Averett, the downgrade from Marcus Peters to Anthony Averett looks like this week when the Broncos and the Ravens square up. It's just not your prototypical Ravens defense so far. And I think there's some, legitimate questions about the quality of the Broncos offense, but I'm increasingly a believer in what they've been able to accomplish so far. We saw it last year, Teddy Bridgewater, even though he wasn't necessarily efficient from a real football perspective, he played well enough to prop up three pass catchers in the Carolina offense most weeks. Let's get to James Washington. The situation in Pittsburgh is not good. Juju Smith-Schuster is day-to-day with a rib injury. Deontay Johnson uncertain for week four with a knee injury, at least as of Tuesday afternoon. Does James Washington emerge as the number two in this passing game in the event that both players are down? And how interested would you even be in him in that scenario, given the struggles of Ben Roethlisberger to this point? Right. So those are two very, you know, those things mean two very different things for James Washington. Like, yes, there's a very good chance that that he becomes a a much more featured part of this offense in light of those injuries. But again, this doesn't feel like an offense that you want to jump in with both feet. Like this, this feels like Roethlisberger. That's the look of a, of a guy who's playing out the string. It looks like he's on his last legs. Um, as far as being an NFL starter is concerned, and that's not even saying a good NFL starter. I think those days are already behind us. And, and, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing a Steelers in this weird transition phase where they kind of just have to hang on to this legendary quarterback. But it's the on-field returns as far as fantasy is concerned. I think it turns Pittsburgh kind of into a wasteland. Uh, you know, I don't mean to like pile on or anything, but I, I just don't think that um, this is an offense that really supports any of these receivers. I thought that all of them were, were relative reaches at ADP just because I thought that Roethlisberger was going to be so bad. And, and you look at the offensive line being totally reshuffled, and that's not looking good so far. I mean, is Najee Harris their wide receiver one, basically, at, <laughs> at this point? I mean, he, he had, what, like 14 catches or targets the other day? I mean, it was uh, ridiculous, the, the amount of usage he's getting in the passing game. So he's the he feels like the only guy with any sort of fantasy juice um, in Pittsburgh right now. And, and James Washington, he, he's a fine fine enough receiver, but I think what he does best is uh, is as a deep ball type of guy. And that's obviously not what Roethlisberger's strong suit is at, at this stage. So I think it's incongruous what, what he does versus what Roethlisberger does. And, and therefore, uh, I would not be uh, rushing to scoop up James Washington. Yeah, I think the limitations for Washington are to formats like the Scott Fishbowl, where there are a million players rostered and anybody who gets any targets tends to get picked up. Uh, I think maybe in a huge dynasty league or something like that, he's a bottom of the roster guy. But legitimate concerns about the Pittsburgh offense. They might play some really ugly games over the course of this season. Uh, and fortunately, I only have, I think, one league with one Steelers pass catcher, and it's one where it's reasonably easy to find replacements on the wire. So I am definitely looking to get an upgrade in that situation as well. Let's get to a couple more receivers. I know there's a lot of questions this week about Josh Gordon. He's going to Kansas City. For the sake of humanity, I just want Josh Gordon to be healthy and productive again. I think that'd be a great story. 
But do you have any reason to believe that things are going to be different and that the, the Josh Gordon truthers will be made whole by what happens in Kansas City with him this season? You know, I don't. And I, I've been, you know, I obviously I pull I pull for him too. Uh, you know, after it, everything that's that's gone on with him, uh, you know, it's it's cool that that he's back in the NFL uh, once again. But you know, we were probably kidding ourselves in 2018. Probably kidding ourselves, you know, when he went over to the Patriots or even like that that brief stint with the Seahawks in 2019. I don't think that this is something that gets better with age. And, you know, we, we think about it in 2013 is almost 10 years ago. And that's when Josh Gordon had, had that unbelievable, you know, never forget it season that, that is the reason why there are still people that are, that are willing uh, to invest in him in the year 2021. But uh, I just think that the fact of the matter is his best, his best football is so far behind him. Um, it's hard to truly trust it. And uh, I think that you look at, the team context where you're at best pushing for the the third role and you're probably not going to get there because that's asking a lot uh, of Gordon to get that caught up to speed uh, in the chiefs offense. It's obviously super intricate and has like a lot of moving parts and you got to get the chemistry down with Patrick Mahomes. That's why Patrick Mahomes can make a guy like Demarcus Robinson or Byron Pringle guys that weren't like huge studs in, in by draft Twitter standards, but like they, they're useful on the chiefs because Mahomes obviously has something with them. That's a lot to ask of Josh Gordon uh, at entering his age 30 season. So I'm not going to be the guy that gets him. I know I feel like I'm just like throwing cold water on all these waiver wire guys, but the, Gordon specifically is always the one that I'll let someone else uh, to make the bid uh, or make the waiver claim on him because I just don't really see a path uh, to it happening. If anything, like he just kind of becomes an inconvenience for like your Mecole Hardman uh, managers, that type of thing. Oh, that's the, that's the worst. I thought this could be a breakout year for Hardman. And yeah, as someone who, was hoping for that to happen. Has Hardman rostered a few places? My interest in Hardman is down a tick right now because yep. Gordon could handle a few of those functions or at least just take a few targets away. Uh, one more receiver I want to ask you about. Nick Westbrook, Akina, got in the end zone against the Colts on Sunday. A.J. Brown week to week. Anything of interest here? And I think Julio Jones might be a little bit dinged up, which is kind of an evergreen statement. He's always playing through something. Uh, is Westbrook, Akina, potentially overlooked as a second-year player out of Indiana in this offense? I yeah, I think that there is something there. I mean, he's a, he's a big guy. He was really productive at Indiana, actually. Um, it, it, you know, in an offense that that had some other weapons around it, some other like kind of like fringe NFL viable type of guys. And Westbrook was always pretty impressive. I know he has like an injury way back in, in his docket, but you know, as the guy that runs the college football stuff at RotoWire, like I'm very very familiar with, with Westbrook, and always remember uh, being pretty impressed by what he was able to do out there. So we, when you Take it into the context of A.J. Brown dealing with with uh, his injury right now and being out for, for a bit, being you know considered week to week. And like you said, you're always on thin ice with Julio uh, seemingly being uh, you know a day away from being a week away you know, type of thing. The Titans don't really have – like the, the thing that people liked about the Titans is how stratified that target tree was going to be. Is Like if they weren't giving the ball to Derrick Henry, it was going to go to A.J. Brown – or Julio Jones, and that that was it. So now you remove one of those guys from the equation. Someone has to pick it up. Khalif Raymond's gone. He's in Detroit. So, I, I mean, it just feels like it, it might not be the, the prettiest thing in the world. I know it's just pumping up Westbrook's ability. I, he's obviously not even close to even 80% of what A.J. Brown can do. But if he's getting targets, man, like that, there's just always something to be said for that in, in fantasy. And I think Tannehill can get it to him. And if when they're just that short on other options – why not? I, I do think that there is a little bit something there with, with Nick Westbrook Akeen. One more uh, tight end question to throw at you here, just as we close out pass catchers. Our friend Jake Seeley had a group of streaming tight ends in his waiver column this week. That group included Dawson Knox, Evan Ingram, Tyler Conklin, Dalton Schultz, Tommy Tremble, who benefits from Dan Arnold being traded to Jacksonville, Arnold himself, and then Pat Fryermuth. Is there anyone from that group that really stands out to you either as a streamer for this week or as someone that might end up having a little bit more long-term appeal than we might be expecting right now? Um, I'm, I'm always intrigued by Dawson Knox. I mean, there, there's so many different mouths to feed in Buffalo, and especially when, when they added 
um, Emmanuel Sanders this offseason. But Knox is playing well so far, and he's got touchdowns in back-to-back weeks. Uh, the, the efficiency's been good, 8.9 yards per target. Uh, over his 12 targets and he's catching almost everything. So definitely intrigued by, by Knox. I think that there, there's something to be said for him this week going in, it, up against Houston at home. That's a pretty juicy setup for him. And then, um, Tremble is, is interesting in the sense that, um, he, he's someone that I really liked for, from like a football player's pr- perspective, but I, I wasn't so sure how he would translate fantasy wise, but it, it seems like, Joe Brady likes him. Uh, like, I mean, they ran a designed run for him at the goal line against Houston the other night. I mean, that, that doesn't just happen out of nowhere. They, they weren't just doing that for fun. Like they, they obviously see something in tremble. Uh, he's a beast when he gets the ball in his hands. He's super raw as a pass catcher. Or at least he has been. Maybe he's developed a little bit or been coached up in a certain way in Carolina to where that's not as big of an issue anymore. But with, I think it's telling that, that Dan Arnold got moved like a, just a couple of days after that game. So, Seems like he's going to at least get a lot of snaps. We, I think we've all officially, emotionally moved on from Ian Thomas as a fantasy thing. So uh, why not kick the tires on, on Tommy Tremble? Maybe you're not picking him up this week, um, but, you know, he's someone to definitely keep an eye on because, you know, th- this would be like the first week of him getting that full snap count and we'll, we'll see what he can do with it. Yeah, they got a pretty nice schedule coming up, too, as far as defenses that have been pretty generous to tight ends early on. Possible shootout, likely shootout with Dallas here in week four. But then they got the Eagles, the Vikings, the Giants, and the Falcons all coming up through week eight. So a nice schedule for that Carolina passing game. Uh, John, I want to ask you one quarterback question before we go. How concerned are you about Justin Fields as a result of Matt Nagy's increasingly apparent incompetence. I mean, we're seeing Trevor Lawrence struggle too in a situation where Urban Meyer looks a bit overmatched, so it's not unfair to ask similar questions about that situation. But Fields in particular seems like he's been catching a lot of heat, and really it is directed at Nagy. Is this fixable? Is there a way where Justin Fields becomes a useful fantasy quarterback at some point between now and the end of this season? Between now and the end of the season, I don't see it. Um, I think that it's that toxic in Chicago. I think that Matt Nagy is that dug in. I think that he, he, the second that they signed Andy Dalton, he was just in on Dalton being the guy, like regardless of what happened. So it felt like he would, the, the Justin Fields things hurt his feelings or something. I, I can't quite get into the psychology of, of the Bears or, or Bears fandom, but it just feels like they are not interested or Nagy's just not interested in, putting Fields in a position to succeed. And obviously going up against the Browns in his first start is a really, really tough spot to, to put anyone in. But I mean, 47 yards of total offense or whatever it was, it's like that's that there's something beyond just the, Justin Fields holding the ball too long and, and getting sacked. The offensive line is obviously a problem. You're going to need to use him more as a runner, get him moving outside the pocket to, to make things happen. But I do... I really have a hard time thinking that Justin Fields is going to be much of anything from a fantasy perspective and redraft this season. I'm still very much in on him in the future, but this just feels like a situation in Chicago with Matt Nagy that's just simply not going to work. It feels like they're not going to put him in position to succeed, and therefore it, it's going to fail this year. Yeah, it almost seems like the only path for him to have second half consistent relevance would be an early firing of Nagy and the interim coaching staff being pretty aggressive and trying to make changes, almost making their own case to hang around and, and sort of take over in the future. But I think they'd be more likely to just sort of clean house as an organization, given the struggles they've had uh, in the Matt Nagy era. He is Rotowire's college football and sports betting editor, John McKechnie. I mentioned earlier, follow him on Twitter at John's underscore tailgate. John, thanks again for joining me. Thanks a ton, DVR. Great talking to you. For John McKechnie, Greg Allman, and Jordan Rodriguez, I am Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast returns on Wednesday.